Matthew chapter 17, and we're going to read from verse 24. Matthew 17 and 24. I will say before we start, some numbers of days ago, some in the evening actually, when I was reading my scripture, before I went to to bed, um, there was a phrase or the incident that we're about to read of came to my mind, and I tossed and tossed in my mind, what does this say to me? What possibly is this saying to me? And I continued to think, and I believe what we have here today is what the Lord finally allowed me to understand, uh, why he was impressing it upon my mind to think on this and to make of it a Christmas message. Matthew 17, verse 24, the scripture says, And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received the tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? He saith, Yes. And when he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter's, Peter saith unto him, Of strangers? Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, and cast and hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. Take that take, and give unto them for me and thee. For me and thee. I want you to take those words there at the end of that verse and let them sort of reverberate in your mind for a moment. For me and thee. And I will lay against that the words, words of Matthew 1, 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. My subject this morning that I want us to think on is essentially the answer to this question, how thoroughly is Emmanuel with us? How deeply does he enter into the needs and issues of his people? Before we go any further, though, let's just ask the Lord to meet with us and ask him to bless his word to our hearts. Father, now I pray that as we look into the word of God, that thou will direct our minds and hearts that thou will speak to us, that thou will overrule that has to do with the deadness that we find within our minds, the unbelief that we find so strongly embedded in our hearts. Lord, I would pray that you will allow your voice to be heard. You do say very plainly, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. 
Lord, we want to hear your voice. We want to follow. We want to be those that are wholly given to the Lord Jesus. Well, we need to have then your voice sounded. We pray that you will do so through the word of God this morning. Lord, I pray that thou will prepare every heart to meet with thee. Prepare every mind to understand. And we pray that you will help me to make it clear. And that I might understand. And it might be within my own heart. Lord, we plead the blood of the Lord Jesus over this time. Lord, meet with us, we pray. This deliver us from all distraction and center our thinking on Christ, we ask in his name. Amen. I will admit that this seems and may seem a very unusual text to take for a Christmas message. How does this passage speak of the Lord's coming to be with men? Well, as we consider the point of the message in our text, I think we will see that it fits quite well. But in order to really see and grasp the point, let's consider another text in a very similar setting. If you were to look with me at Mark chapter 12, Mark chapter 12, you will read of a very similar incident, similar in that the question is very much the same, though the people asking are very different. Mark chapter 12, verse 14, the scripture says, And when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true, and carest for no man. For thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny, that I may see it. And they brought it, and he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. In this reading in the book of Mark, it is the Pharisees rather than the tax collectors that come to the Lord Jesus and with a sly approach try to catch him in a controversy. They supposed that he would not be able to answer their question without aligning himself with one side or the other. Either he was with Rome or he was with, in their thinking, God. By asking this question and answering the way that they thought he would, he would thereby incriminate himself as guilty of an offense against the Romans or, worse, against his people and the Lord. But the Lord set forward an answer that not only undoes their craftiness, he sets forth a truth that is an underlying explanation of 
for his coming altogether. The point he makes is this. Pay to whom payment is due. But coming back to Matthew chapter 17, the Lord tells Peter to pay the taxes for himself with a coin that he finds in a fish's mouth. But he also tells him to pay for him as well. Why? What does that say? Well, it says that the Lord entered into Peter's need and identified himself as one who would have to pay as well. Christ made the debt his. The payment was his supply. The part that Peter played was but to believe and to obey. Now, let's understand that the matter of which we read in Matthew 17 was the paying to Caesar of that which was Caesar's. But the message of this portion of Scripture, Matthew 17, particularly verse 27, is that the message was really on a higher plane. What about paying to God the debt that was due to God? Here is the connection with the coming of the Lord Jesus. Here is the point that connects us and this portion to this Christmas time. The Lord Jesus, by becoming flesh and blood, stepped into that place where he as man owed to God what man owed. He became the payer of what is God's to God. This portion of scripture that we read this morning is but an illustration. And that's all I'm going to make of it. It's an illustration of the meaning and the scope of the Lord's coming to pay our debt. So the point that I want to set before you, that I want to think on is this. Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, made himself one with us. Therefore, he became man to pay the debt that we could not pay. Here is an illustration of Christ paying the debt that his people could not pay. It is a very simple picture, but it does illustrate the cause of his coming, the purpose of God, the eternal plan of the Father, all can be illustrated by this one little incident, seemingly so absolutely insignificant. But I want you to think about this, and I say it's an illustration only. I'm not trying to make of it more than that. It is an illustration, but I want you to see first with me the dilemma. The dilemma. And I will simply make an observation here. But I hope to let it stand as the background for our point. There's a dilemma, there's a problem, there's an issue, there's a need that is in place here at this time when Peter is affronted, accosted, if you will, by the tax collectors about the issue of where's the money. 
Well, the problem was this. Peter could not pay the tax. That's what it boils down to. Peter could not pay the tax. The apparent issue was that there were taxes to be claimed, but there was great uncertainty where the money would come from. In fact, it would seem that the tax collectors approached Peter, not out of curiosity on the subject of whether the Lord paid taxes, but they came with a bit of an accusation. There is the tone that they suspected that the Lord and his disciples were not paying. Now, I will say this, they didn't have any concern about the paying, but were turning up the heat to get something. Well, the Lord, seeing this, questions Peter then about the nature of the matter and then instructs him to go to the sea so as to put to rest these greedy crows. But the point is this. Peter didn't have anything to pay. He couldn't answer the accusers out of his own pocket. He was utterly without any way to answer their words. He was in debt. He could not pay. That's the situation. I hope maybe we can relate that to ourselves in some way. Well, what about a greater matter? What about a greater? We're talking about paying to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Peter couldn't pay, but I'm asking about maybe on a different plane here. What about render to God the things that are God's? There's the bigger issue. There's the greater problem. There's the, the dilemma that's even more poignant and powerful. There's no way to pay to God what we owe God. I hear in my mind the words of that old hymn, Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless Look to thee for grace, foul. I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. My point that I'm making to you this morning, how this relates to you and to me, is that we have nothing. We have nothing in our hands that we can pay for our debt to God. We have no way to render to God the things that are God's. What's due to God? What is due to God? Absolute obedience, perfect obedience to the law of God. Did any of us ever keep that? No. We are in debt now, and we can't pay. The second part of the dilemma is this that Peter had no knowledge of how the matter could be made right. Did Peter have any answer to the question really. Oh, he said, yes, we pay taxes, but beyond that, could he say anything? I think embedded in the conversation that Peter had with the Lord was the fact that Peter was ignorant of how the matter could be put right. He didn't know. But the Lord knew. There's the point. The Lord knew. The whole matter was long determined beforehand. He knew all that was needed to render to God the things that are God's. This is why he came. Jesus said, 
in John 4 as he talked with the woman at the well. My meat, or to the disciples about the woman at the well, rather. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And to finish his work. I am come to do the work of God that has been planned before the foundation of the world that I might pay the debt that is now due. And I know how it's going to be done. There is no question, there is no part of this that's hazy in its application. Now the Lord didn't explain to Peter how he would put the matter right. All he said to Peter uh, in that conversation that they had when they were in the house really was that those that who are the who are the children would be free. By what he was to do, the children would be free. To what does that refer? Well, I think it simply is another way of saying faith leads to freedom. Can we put it in another way? John the Apostle says in John chapter 1, but as many as received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The Lord Jesus knew how this was to be paid. You and I could not have ever thought of this answer. We could never have imagined what the price was really that had to be paid. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. I don't know how to do that, Peter. I've got that covered. But the bigger issue is render to God the things that are God's. Oh, how do I do that, Peter? I've got that taken care of too. And the children will be free. Christ would pay the debt. The children would be free. I want us to see, secondly, the instruction. The instruction. Now, the, what the Lord tells Peter to do seemed strange in a way. Go to the sea and throw in a hook. And a fish will have money. Does that not seem somewhat unusual? First off, Peter never hardly ever fished with a hook. He always had nets, and that was his trade. And he knew all about that part, but to throw in a hook, that's what, Lord, that's what the, the eight-year-old boys do when they're standing beside, you know, listen, how is it going to look for me, who is a professional fisherman, to go down to the sea and do what eight-year-old boys do by throwing in? Seems somewhat strange. Oh, let me say this. To the world, the instruction that we are to trust and obey may also seem strange to some. Well, Peter goes and finds the matter exactly as the Lord said. This leads to a question. And I know I speculate here and I readily admit it. And I believe that once you admit you do something, then you're always free from guilt somehow. I'm, I'm, I'm speculating here, but I'm going to ask the question, how much was that coin worth? Well, I will answer in this way. 
the coin was lost by a very rich man. Now, how can that be said? Here's my thinking. Number one, and here's just pure speculation. It must have been a shiny coin. Shiny enough for a fish to bite. Fish are generally attracted to flash. And some by smell, but most, if you have a lure or something, they're attracted by a flash. Which means that most likely this coin was either of silver or gold. You say, how does that relate to anything? My mind just immediately started thinking, I think of a bright star that's shown to attract men from a distance. Well, let me say this too. The coin really was too large for the fish just to spit out. It was lodged in his mouth. It had to have been a coin of some size. But more to the point, here's where my, I, I just added those. Those were side speculations, if you will. Here's my point. Do we think that that coin was of great enough worth just to have paid for the Lord and Peter? What about the other disciples? There were 11 others that owed taxes as well. How would they pay? Was the payment that was rendered by Peter enough to cover all that were trusting in the Lord? Do you see where I'm going with this? What the Lord Jesus even did in this illustration of render to Caesar, it covered those that would have been brought into question. They were covering those that were all his disciples. Now, what, am I to, what am I trying to say? When Jesus pays to God the things that are God's on behalf of his people, it is enough to cover all the debt of all the people. What price could that have been but something that was extremely valuable? I say, this is a simple point, but precious. When the Lord took flesh and came to pay the debt, it was a real debt owed specifically by all people. The Lord's payment was sufficient. But second, I want you to see this. The payment was planned long before the need arose. That fish had to have bit before the Lord ever spoke to Peter. That coin had to be in his mouth before Peter ever cast the hook. So there was something that took place long before the need even became knowable. Perhaps that does speak also of the provision of the Lord Jesus, doesn't it? We might also ask this in connection with that. What made the loser of the coin go to the seaside in the first place? The answer is to lose his coin. In the providence of God, in the plan of God, this was all established. The payment was long determined before the day it was to be paid. The, count, the, the cost was counted, the provision was secured, and the plan was successfully carried out. All was rendered that was required. 
Which leads me then to answer this question, why was this done? So my third point, the identification. The identification. And I think the best thing for us to do is to let the words for me and thee echo about in our minds a little. For me and thee. There is the reason and there is the marvel. You say, really? You know, the Pharisees marveled at the response of the Lord when he said what he did about rendering to Caesar and rendering to God. But I say what was truly marvelous is that the Lord Jesus so identified himself with his followers that he entered into their need to pay for me and thee. The matter is that we are united to Christ. He claims us. He owns us as his own. Our debt has become his. And he is pleased to have it that way. He is with us and he is pleased you remember singing these words pleased as man with men to dwell Jesus our Emmanuel pleased to unify himself pleased to be unified and united to his people pleased to be one in every aspect of our need as well as eventually our joy what a marvel, me and thee. Let that, let that ruminate in your mind a little bit. Me and thee, we are one, we're together. Oh, Christ considered the debt to God his debt. As his supply of the coin was sufficient, so was the supply of his atonement. It met every need, it met the requirements completely and it put every accuser and every suspicious one to silence there is no place for a man to try to enter into the payment of this debt it was not their part in Matthew 17 it's also not our part in any other part of the scripture that describes the Lord Jesus paying our debt for sin, for the breaking of the law of God, to bring peace with God, to bring the adoption of sons, to bring the glorification of the saint whereby we will live everlastingly with Christ. What can we conclude from this? Me and thee. What can we conclude? What applications can we take away from this? Here's the illustration. Again, I hope you can see. I hope I made it clear enough. The illustration of Christ coming and identifying himself with his people to pay the debt that they could not pay. What can we say about for me and thee? Well, first I want you to see. Take this Think on this, Christ came to be one with us. 
Emmanuel. He then teaches us that he enters into our need with all things that have to do with rendering to God the things that are God. But then all the other things that you and I would have to say are the issues of life. He enters into our need. He enters into our debt. He enters into our issues. And he is the satisfier of everyone. Now we have peace with God. But more we have the blessing of God. Take that as the first application. Christ came to be one with us. Second, the Lord is also fully identifying himself with all the temporal issues of this life. Is there one concern? Is there one need? Is there one want that the sheep of his, of his flock in his pasture will have that he is not completely involved with? Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There is no need. There is no issue. There is no sorrow. There is no stress. There is no opposition. There is no cost that he is not only knowledgeable of, but identifying himself with entirely. He does not leave us to solve what we cannot. He has paid the price for our help. Take that away. For me and thee. And third, I want you to see this. We can then say, we are free. We are now, because of the Lord Jesus coming, being made one with us and paying our debt, we are now free. That is free to go on with God. Before, I couldn't go on with God. I was at enmity with God. There was a controversy between myself and God. I had these things that were demanding payment. I couldn't do anything about it, but now... Because of what the Lord Jesus has done, I can go on with God. What an amazing thing that is. You think about it. I can go on with God. I can walk with God. I can talk with God. I can love God and the Lord can manifest his love to me freely. Isn't it Hosea that the Lord says, and I will love them freely? That's all mine now because the Lord Jesus came and united himself with me, I am one with him before God for me and thee. But I'm also free to live above the pains of life. Was there a ramification if the disciples didn't pay the taxes that was demanded of them? Yeah, there could have been. The Romans could have come and thrown them in a debtor's prison or whatever it is that they did depending on the severity of what they thought the crime was by not paying taxes. Oh, there would be no more of that kind of thing to 
to worry about. They are free. Free from the pains of life. So what do we say? How can we respond to that? What can we say before our God? Well, I'll just conclude by this. It may be as much a prayer as words of a a hymn. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Bring us new life today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us. Abide with us. Our Lord, Emmanuel. Me and thee. May the Lord bless his word to us for Jesus' sake. Let's pray. Father in heaven, now I would pray that you will let this word be that which encourages us, not with ourselves, not with even just the freedom from our debt, but may we be encouraged that we have one who so loves us that he gave himself to pay our debt, to make us free, so that in the sight of God we have also rendered to God the things that are God's. Lord, bless now this day as we remember the coming of Christ. May we remember he came for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, let's stand together and sing glory to the Father. Thank you.